All right. What a weakling. That is not a picture of me, everybody, when I was a few years younger, but I wanted to uh, just call to your mind and your uh, thinking how confusing the English language can be sometimes. When you think of the word sick, you think of somebody who's ill. You think of somebody who might need a doctor, medicine, you know, maybe some type of a, a bad illness. And sometimes when we use that word, though, if you could pop that up there for me, sis, we look at a car and we say, man, that car is sick. And if the car is sick, like my, my, I think my daughter uh, was looking at a car one time, she texted me, this car is filthy. Well, it's filthy, take it to a car wash. And if it's sick, take it to the mechanics, you know, get, get it somewhere if it needs a sickness. The other word that you kind of look at, just a tad less on my volume, pop down just a tad, is the word bad, right? Bad. Yeah, something is bad, it's, it's broken, it's, it's useless. It's, it maybe used to be good at one time, but it's bad now. Maybe it's even evil. And then a mom and a dad, they give their child a, an Xbox game, right? The kid opens it up, he's playing it, he comes back and says, Mom and Dad, I just want you to know that that game you gave me is bad. To which the mom would say, well, then you better let me pack it up. We'll take it back. No, I mean it's bad. I mean it's bad in a good way. The English language, right? When I was growing up, you all right? We used to wear thongs. (laughs) Flip-flops. No graphic for that one. No graphic for that one. They were were thongs. We wore thongs. Flip-flops. The English language, it gets a little backwards sometimes. You learn some different things and you know it's turning a negative into a positive and maybe it's just even understanding what a word is because I was with somebody the other day and uh, some uh, niece of a friend of ours, she was a pretty short little girl and she just kind of says, you know, I don't mind being short. I just get tall people to do the stuff I can't do that tall people do. They just kind of had a different attitude about it. And I think if you think about it, this is kind of one of the same things that happens all throughout the Scriptures. Why else would Jesus say, you know, the first will be last? No, the first are first and the last are last. Oh, no, he's trying to teach a principle, right? He's trying to teach a principle that, you know, those who think of others before themselves, put others before yourselves. You know, I was driving down Mayfield. Maybe some of you have seen this. I drove by this church. The name of the church was First Seventh-day Adventists. The first Seventh-day Adventist. Is that like, like Fifth Third Bank or something like that? I don't know what's going on. Maybe they didn't get the memo. This is what Jesus does a lot. He told his disciples, if you guys are going to be leaders, don't be leaders like the rest of the, uh, the secular world. You be a servant to them. Be a servant leader. And you think to yourself, no, wait a minute. Leaders have servants. They, don't, they aren't servants themselves. And, of course, he was teaching them the same thing that he was basically living for them, servant leadership. Jesus comes along and says, you need to die to self in order to find yourself. It's kind of the same thing with bad and sick and thongs, isn't it? It's just like some different wording, and he's trying to teach a spiritual principle. This happens all throughout the Scriptures. You have to die to self because you being the created being don't know what the Creator knows. You have to die to self to get it, to get a hold of it. And so we're in 2 Corinthians today, and Paul starts to use some of the same kind of language. He's a little bit um, (laughs) hyperbole, making exasperation, exaggerations, uh, to get to the point of trying to help people see and understand something he's teaching. And in 2 Corinthians, you don't have it all there. He says, I must go on boasting. Well, that's not really good for a spiritual leader, is it? 
And he goes on, because he's going to make a point here, and he goes on to talk about visions and revelations that he had had. Other than planting churches and doing a lot of wonderful things for Christ, he has these visions and revelations, and he kind of says, I'm boasting, folks. I was taken up to the third heaven. And the third heaven, in case you don't know, the first heaven uh, is basically our skies. The second heaven is the outer space, and the third heaven would be paradise. He goes on, what is it, verse 4? He says he was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things... Things that no one is permitted to tell. I got a secret. It's from God, and you can't know what it is. It's kind of, I must go on boasting. And he says in the verse part of verse 7 because of these surpassingly great revelations, he was going to have to learn something. He was going to learn something. You and I are going to learn something today. Can you take a look at your notes? I want to take a look at four weakling lessons, right? Everybody thinks you need to be strong. Just Peter, uh, Paul comes along and says, no, you need to be weak. Number one, God opposes the proud, right? You, you know that. God opposes the proud. The tendency of anybody, whether they're a Christian or whether they're somebody in the, uh, that's not a Christian, is when they get good at something, when they become successful at something, to get prideful, to think, you know, this is all good, well and good, this is what I can do. And if you are a Christian today, this applies to you. You and I always have to constantly check our pride. Pride produces nothing in God's kingdom. He opposes the proud. If you don't believe me, open your Bible right at the beginning. Look at the third chapter and see Adam and Eve there thinking, well, we probably know a little bit more than God. He said we shouldn't. We say we should. Let's do it. Pride, it doesn't accomplish anything. In verse, uh, second part of verse 7, Paul says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Now, the word thorn here, uh, looked up in the original language, right in this context, thorn in the flesh, means a chronic infirmity. A chronic infirmity. You know, I've known several people that have had Crohn's disease. And if you've ever known somebody that's had that, it's a really difficult situation. It's really tough. It's really difficult to, you know, everywhere you go, you've got to know where a restroom is. It is a really tough, it's a, it's a chronic, ongoing situation. He's got a thorn in his flesh, but the word thorn here can also mean an annoyance or a trouble in life. He had a thorn. Most people possibly think it might have been his eyesight, but I don't think he tells us on purpose because it doesn't matter because his is going to be different than yours. Look at the word conceited. He said, this happened to keep me from becoming conceited, which means to lift oneself up, to be exalted, to be haughty. And I tell you what, if anybody would be justified to be able to brag about their spiritual accomplishments, it would be, it would be Paul. Not only had he had these great revelations, he had planted more churches than I think anybody we know. He wrote more books in the New Testament. If anybody could be justified in bragging and being conceited, it would be him. But the question today is, what's going on in your life? What is it that's going on in your life that you just are wondering, why is this here? I find it really interesting that it's okay for Paul, and it's okay for Job to, you know, when God is uh, there before uh, uh, in the heavens, Satan shows up. Satan shows up, and he says to, uh, he, he say, says to God, you know, you, you see your guy, Job? The only reason he's serving you is because you've given him everything. 
And God gives them the ability to give them a couple thorns. I don't know what yours is, but every one of us have them. I hope that you're in a great place and there's no situation or problem, but most likely that probably won't last for long in this world. Paul is learning something. He's teaching you and me. Thorns, they're they're just a part of life. My my grandfather, my dad's dad, he grew award-winning roses. He showed them at, at all kinds of different places. He won blue ribbon after blue ribbon first place. I'd go there. He'd teach me a little bit about how to uh, trim them and what to, to do and how to take them off. And all of, He'd put this little tar on something because when you cut them, it leaves it open to a bug getting inside. He won uh, award after award. after. And guess what? Every one of the awards he won with those roses still had the thorn on them. They were award-winning, but they had had thorns on them. And the first weekly lesson is be careful not to become prideful of your past success. Most especially, I'm talking today about using your talents and your gift for the Lord. It's so easy to get good at it and forget the Lord. Number two, pleading won't make it go away. One of the weakling lessons for you and for me is pleading won't make it go away. A child is sick. It's maybe been you, maybe it's been one of your kids. They're sick, they, they're throwing off, they feel terrible, and they're begging their mom and their dad, make it go away. And as much as mom and dad would like to make it go away, they just can't, but the, but the, but the child's begging. In verse 8, the word pleaded. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. The word pleaded there in the original language means to beg. It means to beg, to entreat, to beseech. He's begging him. Now, what I really don't get about this is it says three times. Three times he pleaded with the Lord? I don't know how many times you've prayed about something, but I could do a couple dozen times, no problem. But here's the thing. There came a time after three times he had prayed and said, Lord, take it away. Something went off in his head to say there must be something else. So after three times he changed directions. There comes a time when we're pleading and we're begging with the Lord to take it away, whatever it might be, and there comes a time when it's enough to change direction to say, I need to maybe be listening about this. I need to maybe be listening about what's going on. Paul pleaded. He prayed. God didn't answer his prayer. Jesus prayed in the garden, take his cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours. He prayed. His first prayer wasn't answered. His second prayer was which means in Christianity, the weird part about it is suffering and thorns actually can lead us in a direction and maybe keep us away from conceit and pride and other things. It really does befuddle me oftentimes when I will see a Christian, a good Christian, a faithful Christian, one who is serving and giving and doing everything, and they're pleading with God to do something, to change something, to to pull the thorn out. And though unlike the mom and the dad who can't do it, he can with the wave of his hand, and he doesn't. But I'm, uh, I'm getting a little bit more as I study this passage and understand it more to understand why. If I'm in a difficult situation, if you find yourself in a difficult situation and you've prayed many times for relief, it's time to sit. It's time to see, is it possible it's there to keep me from becoming something he doesn't want me to become? I enjoy fishing. I do not enjoy teaching children how to fish. 
You try to teach a kid how to fish from the dock, right? Everybody's catching fish. He wants to fish. They want to do it themselves. You put a rod and a reel in their hand with a monofilament line which has a tendency to tangle like you wouldn't believe, and you put a hook on it, and you give it to a kid. And you try to teach them how to, how to cast, and they, they cast a couple times, and you show them, and they're just having difficulty. And every time they cast, and every time they get a tangle, if you're the type of parent that does everything for them, they'll never learn how to cast, and they'll never catch a fish when they cast. But if you let them go through the hardship, if you let them go through it, if you, the lessons you're teaching them on how to when to let your thumb go and how to cast it and everything so it doesn't end up in the back of your head is very important. And sometimes in life, the, the tangles and the hooks that are stuck, they're there for a reason. It's teaching us to, supposed to be like a flashing light, take a look, see what's going on. You're not going to always get bailed out. Dad and mom can't always be casting for you. There's a lesson to be learned, and they'll never learn it any other way. Pleading won't make it go away because the thorn has a lesson attached to it. That's what Paul's going to teach us today. So the weakling lesson is when I have prayed and there's no relief, it's time to change my focus off of what's bugging me onto what it is God might be trying to teach me. Number three, our strengths must become our weaknesses. Our strengths must become our weaknesses. Now, there's a teaching out there uh, in the world that says, you know, if you're good at A and B and you're no good at C and D, you need to spend a lot of time on C and D. You need to bring that up. And I totally, totally, totally disagree with that. You don't have to agree with me. I disagree with that. If you're gifted somewhere, you don't shuck your gifts. You learn how to serve in weakness. That is the key that I'm saying to you. Whatever your gifts, whatever your talent is, this doesn't mean go try to find something you're no good at because you don't want me playing the piano and you don't want me singing. Right? I mean, you laugh. You know that's the truth. If somebody's really good at administrating and teaching, you don't try to take them and have them do something else. But what Paul is going to say is is there's a a way that our strengths are handed over in weakness. Look at verse 9. But he, meaning God, after he pleaded three times, he said to me, quote, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, now he changed his boasting. He was boasting about revelations. You've got to read the whole thing. You say, what are you boasting about, Paul? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. He's happy about his weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know, this is... Once again, not about finding where we're not gifted. This is about taking what you're good at and surrendering it and making sure that whenever the thorns in life come along, make us point us back to, were you possibly heading into an area of pride where you thought you could do it yourself? God was not asking Paul to stop preaching or planning churches or anything like that. He was trying to teach him, you've done some wonderful things. Here's a little jab. Come back to me. And Paul learned a lesson that he gave to you and me. This word grace here, I looked it up, it's interesting. It means necessary grace. There's a necessary grace that Paul had and that we need. It's the merciful kindness by which God influences souls. He keeps, he strengthens, increases the Christian faith. He, he gives them knowledge and affection to get to the place where they know that he is with them. The word sufficient here. It means to be possessed of unfailing strength. 
Now, if you think of the word possess, you might think of something that's demonic, but in this context, this means sufficient, means to be possessed of an unfailing strength. This is exactly what Paul is wanting us to learn and what he had learned. In a way of weakness, he's possessed with God's power. And that is so important for you and I to understand and to experience. Do you remember the first time you were asked to do something in church? Maybe you were asked to teach. Maybe you were asked to um, uh, count. Maybe you were asked to greet or to do something. And, and it was, you know, work with the teens or something. And it was way above your head. I can remember people coming to me asking me to do things. I'm like, are you sure you know who you're talking to? But what happened was, is I did what you did. You prayed a lot about it. Lord, have mercy. I don't know if I can do this. And you made sure you were prepped and prepared, and you did everything you needed to do. I can remember the first time Pastor Dale asked me to preach somewhere. Man, I had to go to the bathroom like five times that morning. He didn't ask me to preach at his church, though, just so you know. I can remember being prepared. And then what happens to Christians? I got this. I've done this many times before. I've had success. I've done wonderful things. You get ready to prep for a kids ministry. And you've done it, and they're just kids, and they're too dumb to know if you don't know what you're talking about. Paul is coming back and he's saying, God says my grace is sufficient. Do you remember doing it so much so in God's strength? I'll tell you what, preachers are pretty, pretty bad at this. A lot of them go down because of this. I've done this. I have certain things worked into my ritual that I make sure, that I make sure no matter what, I lay it all aside. I was taught in college, do all your prep and then set it aside and just trust totally in Jesus. So prep. Tell the Lord you need Him. Don't rely on your past success. Pro athletes do this all the time. Pro athlete comes in. They don't know if they're going to make the team. They're there early. They stay late. They're doing all the lift and all the study and everything. They're playing wonderful, and they're doing so well, they get a great contract a couple years later. And once they get the money, you know what happens. Once they get the money, I don't need to come that early anymore. I don't really need to study that much anymore. Little by little, everybody sees what's happening, and before you know it, they're gone. There are some exceptions. There's many exceptions to this. Tom Brady being one of them. Forty-some years old. Not ever going to say, oh, what I did in the past is good enough. Always pushing forward, always going forward. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the YouTube things on how he stays in shape and how he makes sure that his muscle is long and gated and he studies and he's ready to go. And he doesn't say to anybody else there, well, I'm the, I'm the quarterback. No, he's there pushing. He's there constantly going on. Find your gift and never become confident in you. Evan, never become confident in past success or you. Because the weakling lesson is whatever you do for God's kingdom, do in weakness so that you will experience God's power. Number four, we must experience the reason. We must experience the reason. A 16-year-old gets a driver's license, which is not a real smart thing except when I was 16. You know, and you're trying to tell them, listen, when you're driving, it's different on dry pavement. When the snow and the ice comes, it's different. 
you got to be careful. You know, the car's going to react differently. This, that. And one of the best things that can happen is that they experience the reason you told them to watch out. And ideally, it would be great that if they could lose control of the car, get scared out of the bejeebers, and then gain control of the car back. Have a close call. Because it's just wah, 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 mom and dad, this, that, the other. I've seen people go to a parking lot that's all iced over and teach their children how to, how to, when the car gets out of control, how to turn into it because it's not a natural instinct. They have to experience it. And when Paul is teaching you and me how to function in our weakness so that we can experience the power of God, look at, look at verse 10. He says, that is why. Everything that happened, he prayed, he pleaded. God says, my grace is sufficient. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight. He used the word gladly before. Now he's delighting in weaknesses. I delight in weakness. And he adds a couple other things that happen in life other than maybe just something physical. Maybe something in the family. He says, I, I, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties in life. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Have you ever experienced this? If you experience it and you begin to experience it more and more, you'll know when you don't have it. If anybody lacks wisdom, I love it. <laughs> if anybody lacks wisdom, James says, you know, let him ask of God who gives without finding fault. You ever try to do something on your own for about a week and finally say, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. And you come across this passage. God says, I give wisdom to people without finding fault. That is, for the last seven days, you try to do it yourself, but don't worry. You serve such a gracious God. Come to me. I'll guide you. I'll direct you. God is good. God is good. If anybody lacks wisdom, here he comes in and he says, I take delight in weakness. We're much more likely to turn to Jesus when we have difficulties than when things are going great. just a biblical truth open to the book of Judges the book of Judges is, is the judges were the leaders for 40 years this cycle goes on for about 40 years in the book of Judges God raises up a good godly leader and they follow him but all of a sudden after about 40 years they start to lose it and God sends insults and God sends persecutions and he's hardships and difficulties and then they repent and come back he brings up and raises up a, a good judge, a good king, and then in 40 years, it's very cyclical. Study the book of Job. We are much more likely to pray and to seek the Lord in difficult times than we are in prosperous times. Maybe, just maybe, as we grow in Christ and have gone through this time after time after time, we'll get to the place where we're like, okay, no matter what I do, if I prosper or don't, I will make sure I keep my focus on the Lord. Paul said, for when I am. When I am weak, then I am strong. He was going to learn how to preach and plant churches and whatever else came his way, visions or whatever. He wasn't going to boast about any of that. He was going to boast about his weakness. I got a uh, text this morning from somebody who this past week went through a really, really, really difficult time, so much so out of their realm and as we spent time together and prayed together uh, I think that they were reading the text uh, the email that I sent out every week and they they sent me a text this morning way early this morning and they quoted verse 9 my grace is sufficient for you 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. And as he entered this weakness and this difficult time, at the bottom of it, he said, I get it. He would not have gotten it if he hadn't gone through a situation that he really didn't want to be in. And it was so outside of his realm. Paul learned that this thorn was supposed to send him a message. Do not trust your education. Don't trust your successes. Don't trust your revelations. Always, always trust in me. Just like the very first time. Continue on with that. In your notes, I have weaklings can get stronger. You know that. Everybody here knows the proverbial 98-pound weakling who has sand kicked in his face, right? And they go and they lift and they, they get bulked up and then they go back and then they pummel the person who's kicking sand in their face. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about spiritually staying a weakling. On the spiritual level, it's not about getting all pumped up and strong and what you can do. It's about honing your skills, doing the best at your gifts and what you can, and then taking whatever difficulty, whatever problem comes your way to say, mm-mm, remember, Evan, unless the Lord builds the house, its labor is labor in vain. Psalm 127, the asterisk in your notes is a point I really want to drive home if I can today. If you don't embrace weakness, it becomes useless in your life. If you don't embrace it, and you don't understand it, and you don't see what Paul's trying to teach us here today, what good is it in your life? All you do is whine and complain and say, why God? But I'm hoping a light bulb will go off in our heads today. Because I really want to spend a little bit of time at the altar. If you want to spend some time at the altar, I want to be able to do that today, because I want this to change in our life. Paul has been taught and taught, and so I look at it and say, oh, This is what God's grace, or when His grace shows up. This is when His power shows up. And if you haven't experienced it, my concern is is you really don't know what it's about. Weakness becomes useless, and then God's grace doesn't show up, so I'm graceless. 2 Corinthians 13, 4. For to be sure... Christ was crucified in weakness. That's the, you get the picture? He was God. He was crucified in weakness. Um, yet he lives by God's power. He learned and experienced and demonstrated the same thing to you and me. And he goes on, likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him. So I, I want to say to you today, and I, I'm going to ask David if he'll come up and... Uh, and Jim, I want you to process in your heart and your mind today what is going on in your life that's supposed to keep you from becoming whatever, arrogant, conceited. What is it? It's coming from a loving God. The thorn that you may be experiencing, whatever that might be for you, whatever the Holy Spirit's laid on your mind and your heart today, is there so you don't trust yourself. So I don't trust myself, most especially when I'm doing kingdom work. Staying weak is staying dependent on Christ's power. My son, Joshua, was about three years old, and he had a fever of 104 that would not break. After a period of time, we took him to the emergency room or doctor, I don't remember what it was, but he was crying, he wasn't feeling good. 
he was red, beat red, he was crying. And the doctor came and said, you know, of course, you know, I, I know what to give him. He came and approached him with a, with a syringe. On top of everything else now, he's going to get stuck. I think they put it in, right in his thigh. And he's looking at me like, you're, gonna, you're not going to hold me down for this, are you? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm, 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 I just held him and hugged him. Whammo. It was amazing. It didn't take but a couple, three hours for him to start to feel better. That thorn in his leg was a healing that kept him from continuing on in sickness. Is it possible today? You just want to spend just a little bit of time with Jesus at the altar today? Spend a little bit of time with him today? Just say, Lord, whatever it is that's going on in your life, I get it. Now will you do the same and show me? I want to experience your grace. I want to experience your power. I, want, I don't want to waste this weakness. And I want to live in weakness. The altar is open as we sing a little bit. You come wherever you're at. Somebody will move aside. You come. You spend a little bit of time at the altar with Jesus this morning. Jesus, we, we want to learn the lesson that Paul learned. He began to boast about all of the spiritual accomplishments he had. He ended up boasting about his weakness because he sensed and he realized that in his weakness he could take the light because that's when he was strong. If I can do it in and of my own strength, why would I need God's power? May we become excellent at whatever gifts you've given us. Hone them and be good at them. But at the same time, recognize and realize whatever weakness is in our life, whatever difficulty, persecution, hardship, or difficulty, it's there to make sure that we exercise our gifts and live our life in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. May people experience it, maybe that have not experienced it before, get a taste of it, I pray in Jesus' name.